Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. There is a a tremendous amount of of beauty that comes with diversity. and, and we see that in nature. We see it in the arts uh, in particular. You know, imagine, imagine trying to compose a song with just a single note. That wouldn't be a song. That would just be a, a drone, right? Uh, you need the, the variety of notes to create a song. You think about, you know, painting a portrait with white paint on a white canvas, right? It's, all right, I guess today you could probably sell it as like contemporary art, but it's not going to be that beautiful, right? You need the variety, you need the colors in order to bring in, out the beauty, and, and God created the world with variety and beauty. I love that if you go back to the Genesis account when it talks about creating plants and animals and fish and birds, God talks about creating them in all these different kinds, that God didn't just create one dog. He created a whole slew of dogs. He didn't create one fish. He created all these different kinds because there's there's beauty in the diversity. And yet, there's also complexity that comes with diversity. There there are complications that come with diversity. There's miscommunication. There's hurt feelings. There's just complexity that comes with that. And as we've been going through the the book of 1 Corinthians, this is a letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. One of the things we discussed very early on is that it was a diverse church, that it was composed of Greeks and Romans and Jews all worshiping under the same roof, and it wasn't going great. The diversity might be beautiful, but it was very complicated, and there were divisions, and there was hurt feelings, and there was offense being taken, and it was, just, it was complicated bringing these multiple streams together in harmony. And the first few chapters of First Corinthians, Paul addresses some of the divisions and the, the hostility that was taking place between these different groups and try to build on that. And then last week, last week, Robert opened up this passage in First Corinthians 9. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about being willing to actually lay aside his own personal rights for the sake of unity, which he kind of talks about in 1 Corinthians 8. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about putting aside his rights for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. And we're going to look at a, a little short passage today. That's, Robert covered it last week, but it's the last four verses of Robert covered last week, beginning in verse 20 of chapter 9. And it's a a kind of famous passage of scripture if you've been in church circles for a long time. It's this passage where Paul talks about becoming all things to all people. And as I was reading it and I was studying it this week, I, I realized that Paul in this, in this short little passage, was revealing a very thoughtful and a very nuanced approach to ethnic and cultural and racial distinctions that arise in our midst. A very thoughtful, detailed, and and nuanced approach to ethnic distinctions. Now, it's the 21st century. We've advanced beyond that. We have no need for thoughtful and detailed and nuanced approaches to ethnic distinctions, right? We figured out how to navigate all of these things peaceably, right? (laughs) Uh, Obviously not. We need this as much today as any time ever. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these, these four verses and see some of the nuances that personally, I didn't even realize were there. Uh, like, I, I saw these over this last week with the help of commentators and biblical scholars and stuff like that, and I was 
so moved by these things myself that I'm, I'm actually excited to be able to share it with you because I've taken quite a bit of encouragement from it. And I think that as we see the nuances in this text, that it'll help us be able to not just relate to one another, but even more so, be able to bring the gospel to people who look different than us, think differently than us, and, uh, and, and approach life differently than us. And so the first nuance that we're going to look at, the first nuance is that Paul undermines the supremacy of ethnic distinctions. He undermines the supremacy of ethnic distinctions. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So he talks about, like, to the Jews, he kind of ethnically becomes like a Jew, but he also, to those under the law, he kind of religiously becomes like one under the Jew in order to reach Jews. Uh, and this is, this is a passage I've been familiar with for decades, and it never caught my attention until one of the commentators pointed it out. Paul is Jewish. Like, he, he is Jew, born and raised Jewish. How does Paul become like a Jew? How can he say, I become like a Jew? He is a Jew. Except for Paul. Paul had so identified himself with Jesus he had so much wrapped his identity as being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that he no longer thought of himself as a Jew primarily anymore. Paul was in Christ. He was a Christ one. He was a child of God. And that identity was, was supreme in his mind that he no longer thought of himself as a Jew. And Paul, for Paul, this took a, a wild amount of self-awareness and attention to the gospel. Because it's easy to just kind of say, like, oh, I, I don't identify as a Jew anymore, but, like, really function like a Jew. But for Paul, he, he exhibited a self-awareness and a, an awareness of the gospel, an understanding of the gospel to help de disentangle his Jewishness from Christianity. And it helps to understand Paul and his background a, a little bit. So Paul uh, is... Jewish, right? And all of the first Christians were Jewish. Some of you might not realize this, but all of the first Christians were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. His immediate followers were Jewish. And for the first you know, year or so after the resurrection, people just assumed that Christianity was Jewish. Like, there was no such thing as Christianity. Like, they just understood it as a sect of Judaism. And, and the followers of Jesus just thought it was the fulfillment of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Like, this was a very Jewish thing in all of their minds. It was just the continuation of Judaism. The, the, like, Christianity, Jesus, and Judaism were so tied together in their minds that they were inseparable. Inseparable in their minds. It's like pizza in New York. Right? Like, you can, you can go outside of New York and you can order pizza, but you're not going to get pizza. You'll get, like, saucy, cheesy bread. It's not pizza, and it's not good. Because the two, they're just tied together. And, and for all of the, like, the first Christians, they just, they assumed that Jews, being Christian meant you were also Jewish. Like, it was just the same thing. The two were inextricably tied together. And then Paul goes through this incredible conversion experience. Jesus shows up to him. You can read about it in Acts. Paul becomes a Christian, and Jesus actually commissions Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, that he's going to be a missionary to the Gentiles. Gentile is just the word for not Jewish. So, you know, in the world of Judaism, there are two groups. There were the Jews and everybody else, which is the Gentiles. Paul was going to bring the gospel to them. 
And Paul, he starts preaching the gospel pretty quickly after his conversion, but like persecution breaks out pretty quickly. And then he goes dark for 14 years. We actually don't know what he was doing for 14 years. But a decade and a half later, he shows back up on the scene and he at this point just has a mastery of the gospel. Like that is unparalleled. He just knows the gospel and he has an unparalleled ability to disentangle his Judaism from Christianity. And I say unparalleled because when Paul started preaching the gospel to Gentiles, it raised some eyebrows. It caused problems. The, the other Jews in the midst were saying, wait a second, can you do that? Can this happen? It was such a big deal that they actually called a special council in Jerusalem because of how Paul was bringing a non-Jewish version of the gospel to the Gentiles. And they had this whole council in Jerusalem. You could read about it in Acts 15. And, and the initial reaction of the Jews was to say, of course people need to become Jewish in order to become Christians. Right? And one of the big questions was over circumcision. Right? And so they were like, hey, you know, do Christian men, Gentile men, do they need to get circumcised if they want to be a follower of Jesus? And the initial reaction of so many was, of course they do. And thankfully, uh, for the adult Gentiles of that day, uh, Peter says, wait, wait a second, let's talk about this, let's think about it. And they discussed it, and James, the brother of Jesus, he actually steps up and he says, it is, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That we have to be careful not to fuse together our cultural norms and our values that are part of Judaism that aren't a part of Christianity and add barriers to the gospel unnecessarily. And so there were certain things like sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols. They said we need to uphold those things. But these other things, things like circumcision, we don't, we don't need to require that anymore under the new covenant. And so Paul took this very seriously And he did the work, he did the work of identifying what was part of his Jewish culture and his Jewish norms and his Jewish values, the things that were contrary to the gospel that need to be dismissed entirely, the things that were in line with the gospel that could be held on to, and the things that were neutral, that they weren't neither good or bad, but they weren't necessarily tied to the gospel, so he could kind of put them on and take them off. And he had to, to know those things about himself because It is so easy to fuse our cultural norms with the message of the gospel. In fact, that's even an understatement. It's not easy to do it. It's really, really hard not to do it. And this is one of the biggest criticisms of like the missionary movement throughout the the last 500 years. And please don't mishear me. I love missionaries. Like, I'm so grateful for the women and men who have gone throughout the world to bring the gospel to unreached people groups and, like, giving their lives for amazing, amazing stories. But one of the biggest criticisms of that is very often missionaries would come from the West, come from America or England, and they would go to unreached people groups around the world, and they would go with a fused theology where they fused their Western cultural norms with the gospel. So they didn't just come with the gospel, they came with the gospel in Western culture. And they told people that I'd dress a certain way and eat certain foods and this and that and things that were completely unrelated to the gospel. And it, it was actually, it was harmful for the advancement, right? It was harmful for the advancement. And Paul, Paul saw that and he realized, no, no, no. I need to do the work of disentangling my norms and values from my particular culture and ethnicity 
from those of the gospel and recognize what, what belongs to the gospel and what doesn't so that he can relate to Jews, his fellow Jews, when needed, but at the same time he could see what was wrong. And, and let me say this. This didn't mean that, that the Jewish people didn't still have a special place in Paul's heart. They did. In fact, in, in Romans 9, look at what Paul says. He says, I, w- I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. So he picks up on the ethnicity, the race, the nationality of his own people. He loves them deeply, right? How many of you would say you, you would be willing to be cut off from Christ and cursed for your own people? He loved them so, so much. And yet, just a chapter later, he describes them as a disobedient and obstinate people. So Paul was able to love them deeply and truly and affectionately and at the same time harsh, uh, harshly critique them and critique them honestly, right? And it's hard to do both of these things. It's, it's easy to do one or the other. You know, I think about even just being an American today, right? You're allowed to either love this country and be pro-American and patriotic and fly the flag and, you know, talk about how great America is, or you're allowed to critique it harshly (laughs) and, you know, be part of the kind of the woke end of things that says, look at all the evil that's come from this country and blah, 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 blah. And Paul, he doesn't pick a side. He actually does both. And get this, Paul isn't isn't a centrist either. He doesn't say, all right, I'm going to just kind of be in the middle and I'm going to avoid critiquing it harshly, and I'm going to avoid loving it deeply. No, no, no. He does both of these to the extreme. He does both of these to the extreme. It's not like finding that middle ground, that compromise that's a little bit of both. No, he does it to the extreme. What he does is he, he embraces this, this tension, right? The Christian life, it's not about balance. It's not about a little of this, a little of that, and kind of finding the compromise. No, 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 it's about tension, where Paul, he loves his own people more than probably most Americans love America, right? And he critiques them more harshly and honestly than most of us are willing to critique even our own country. He's able to do both of those things and maintain that, that tension because he's identified himself so deeply with Jesus Christ. He embraces that tension. The second nuance that we see is that Paul also embraces the reality of ethnic distinctions. Right? He embraces the reality of these ethnic distinctions. He doesn't pretend they don't exist. He says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. All right, confession time. I have been misquoting this passage for like three decades. Uh, and I, uh, I, I just assumed, right? I, I kind of paraphrased it in my mind. I kind of knew the gist of it. And so for the longest time, I've been kind of misquoting it and saying something that's not there. Because what I assumed is, you know, he starts by saying, I become a Jew to the Jews. And, you know, one under the law to those under the law. And then he says, not under the law. And what, what do you expect him to say here? Well, to the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. But he never says that. So for the last 30 years, I've been saying, oh, yeah, Paul, you know, to the Jews, I became a Jew, and to the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. And as I was studying this week, I realized Paul never 
says that he became a Gentile a Gentile because he couldn't. Paul wasn't a Gentile. Paul can't just pretend to be a Gentile. He's not. He can try to relate to them on other grounds. He can try to relate to them as those under the law, but he can't pretend to know what it is to be a Gentile. He's never been a Gentile. And there's a difference between, between you know, not letting our ethnic identity kind of reign supreme and become the core of who we are and, and dismissing it altogether. And saying that these distinctions don't matter and that you could just kind of like, you know, talk in a certain way or dress in a certain way and eat the types of food and be like, yeah, no, I know what it's like to be a Gentile now. No, 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 he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He knows that it's good to honor these distinctions and that, that cultural appropriation in this way would just, that's offensive, right? He, he does recognize that these ethnic distinctions, they are real and they are significant. And I, I think one of the reasons that I misquoted this passage for so long is, I don't think I understood that. Well, I know I didn't understand that, especially growing up uh, in the way that I did. So uh, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm super white. Uh, American, you know, born and raised here. My, my grandmother's maiden name is Mary Jane Smith. Uh, so yeah, about as generic as you get. Uh, so that's what I thought. I kind of had this mindset that kind of being part of the, the majority culture and everything like that, that I was the default. That other people had culture and ethnicity and I was, I was classic Coke, right? <laughs> other people were, you know, vanilla Coke and Diet Coke and orange raspberry sherbet Coke or whatever is out there now. Coffee and Coke exists now. Like other people, they were the kind of the varieties of Coke and I was classic Coke, and these other distinctions, they were fine and everything like that, but when there became tensions or there were problems, if, if people would just throw off these, these special flavors, if they would just kind of let go of these special flavors, then they would all just be generic, classic Coke like me, and we'd all get along. Because all, everybody else had a culture and ethnicity, but I didn't, right? And so I, I kind of trivialized, I, in my mind, I thought that these, these ethnic distinctions, that they weren't real, like they were just you know, man-made constructs and they weren't significant and so you could just throw them off and then you'd be like me. Which, of course, I, I know that's naive uh, <laughs> now, all right? Fortunately, I had some, some mentors and godly women and men in my life who uh, came alongside me and gently helped me see things that I didn't see at the time and realized that I, I do have a culture. I do have an ethnicity, that I have been deeply shaped by my culture and ethnicity. And when I told people to be more like me, I wasn't saying to just simply drop off their excesses. I was actually asking them to adopt my culture and ethnicity. And these are things that I, I didn't understand at the time, but I, I think Paul does. Paul recognizes that these things are real. These distinctions are real. It does shape how people experience life and how they're treated by the world and how they think. And, you know, Paul, Paul wasn't, as, you know, some might say, colorblind, right? He didn't just pretend that, oh, I could just look past these things and we're all the same. No, he realized there were distinctions. He realized he couldn't just say, yeah, I, I'm, to the Gentiles, I become like a Gentile. I just do the same stuff. And then I know what it's like to be a Gentile. No, no, no. He embraces the reality of these distinctions. We see that, that tension again right, where he's able to say, all right, my ethnic identity, for the Christian, ethnic identity is not the supreme identity, right? It's not the supreme thing, so we don't put all our eggs in that basket, but at the same time, he's able to say fully that these things are real, and they're significant, and we should honor them, and recognize them, and, and interact with people like 
being conscious of these ethnic distinctions. He kind of holds both of them to the extreme and creates this tension once again. And you know what tension is great for? Tension is great for building bridges. And this is what Paul chooses to do with ethnic distinctions. He chooses to build bridges, to become all things to all people. And this is the, the third nuance that we see, that Paul rejects the world's use for ethnic distinctions. He rejects how it's, it's commonly used in the world. So in Corinth, as I mentioned before, there were Greeks, there were Romans, there were Jews. All in, the, in Corinth in general, but also in the Corinthian church. All three kind of cohabitating in this space. Now, the Romans had all of the political power. This was a Roman colony. Rome came in. They kind of swept over, rebuilt the city. If you were Roman, it made good sense to kind of cling to your ethnic distinction, to say, proud to be Roman, because that's where the, the power and the influence and kind of the autonomy in society was tied to, is being Roman. Now, the Greeks, on the other hand, they didn't have the political power, but they had the cultural capital, they had the cultural power. They had the, the theaters and the arts and they had the, the academia was in their back pocket. And so for, if you were Greek, of course you'd say, I'm proud to be Greek. I'm proud to be able to have the, the cultural prowess, the academic prowess. That's where they were able to find power and influence in society. The Jews, however, had no power. No power, not in, in Corinth in the first century. They were powerless, so much so that there's a story in Acts 18 uh, about a Jewish synagogue ruler, Jewish synagogue ruler, who brings a Jewish matter, a Jewish issue to the public court, brings it before the governor. And the governor hears the case and dismisses it right away. And he says, why are you bothering me with this Jewish matter? What do I care what you Jews do to each other? Like this, why are you bothering me? He dismisses it out of hand. And then the crowds of people, the crowds of Greeks and Romans that saw this whole thing happen were frustrated that this Jewish synagogue leader would waste all of their time that they beat him publicly right then and there in front of the governor, all right? And it just says that the governor watched this and he did nothing. He didn't care. So even the, the kind of political power that you shouldn't should step in and stop this, they just watched it. They didn't care because it, it was just Jewish matter. The Jews had no power in Corinth. And you would think, all right, if you're Jewish in Corinth, then what need for your ethnic distinctions do you have? Like, wouldn't you want to downplay them? Wouldn't you want to try to, like, pretend maybe I'm not Jewish, maybe I'm just Greek or Roman, so that maybe you can identify with those positions of power and influence? But in your experience, do, do people groups that are minority people groups, especially ones that are oppressed, do they, do they dismiss their cultural distinctions or do they cling to them more tightly? Usually we see them actually cling to it more tightly. And not, not for power and influence like the Greeks and Romans did, but for solidarity. To have a group of people that could understand their pain, that could relate to what they were going through. And here's the thing, whether you're a Greek and Roman, you were looking for power from your ethnic distinctions, or if you were Jewish and you had no power, but you were looking for solidarity from your ethnic distinctions. Both groups of people we're clinging to their ethnic distinctions for strength. One for power and influence, one 
for solidarity, but both of them saw their ethnic distinctions as an opportunity to find personal strength, to build up walls, to kind of fortify themselves, to either maintain their power and autonomy or to find that solidarity in suffering. And where, while everyone else was clinging to these, these distinctions for strength, Paul speaks into it and Paul says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Paul didn't have the need for clinging to ethnic distinctions for strength. He could have. He could have. The Jewish synagogue ruler who was beaten, his name was Sosthenes, uh, and the Jewish matter that he brought to court was Paul. Paul was the problem. Paul came into Corinth and he was preaching the gospel and Jews started leaving the synagogue and becoming Christians and Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, felt threatened. He was losing his power. He was losing his source of solidarity as people were migrating over to follow Jesus. And so he brings Paul to court hoping that the Corinthian governor is going to kick him out of town or beat him or do something to just stop Paul from stealing his power. And then Sosthenes is beaten, the governor watches, nothing happens, and, and the story ends. We actually don't know what happened next. And I'm curious what Paul did in that moment. Paul, even though he's Jewish, he was a Roman citizen, which is rare to come by, like a Jewish Roman citizen. But as a Roman citizen, he had a lot of power in this moment, a lot of strength. You just kind of show a citizenship card and he would be in the clear. And maybe he did that. Maybe he just said, hey, I'm a citizen, don't touch me. Maybe. Maybe he just snuck out quietly and he retreated back to his little church that was starting to form and some other Christians to kind of find solidarity in the midst of the, the struggle. And that's, that's possible as well. But I doubt he did either one of those things. I have a feeling in that moment, Paul, he chose to become weak and to identify with Sosthenes in his weakness. And, and I don't know what happened, you're right. But there's reason why I believe he did. And it's because of how 1 Corinthians starts out. 1 Corinthians, the whole letter to the Corinthians, it starts out with Paul saying this. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Right? So he's writing this letter to Corinth. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And our brother Sosthenes. <laughs> Sosthenes, the guy who was losing his power and freaking out, and he tried to accuse Paul and get Paul beaten. Sosthenes gets beaten. And somewhere along the way, whether it was Paul or it was another Christian, somebody said, it's a scary time to be Jewish in Corinth. And I could definitely separate myself from that, but no, 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 no. I'm going to identify with Sosthenes in his weakness in order to win Sosthenes. And now Sosthenes is Paul's brother and traveling companion. Because Paul decided... Look, I don't, I don't need to cling to these things for power or strength or solidarity. And look, look I'm not saying, especially, uh, you know, it's easy for me as part of the majority culture to kind of downplay solidarity. I'm not doing that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with clinging to ethnic distinctions for solidarity. But Paul's just saying he doesn't need to do that. He has this supernatural power from the Holy Spirit that he doesn't need to seek strength. 
by trying to seek out solidarity. Instead, he can actually bring solidarity to the weak. The Spirit gives him that power to hold this tension and not snap, to not, to not buckle under it. And while everybody else is using their ethnic distinctions to build walls, to find strength, Paul starts to build bridges. And along the way, he, he wins people. And it was costly. It was hard for Paul. It, it was a lot of work for Paul to disentangle his Jewishness from his Christianity. He couldn't just do it naturally, had to think about these things and do the work and probably have input from other people, other Gentiles to kind of point out some things along the way, but he did the work. It wasn't easy for him to identify with people in their weakness. It got him beat, got him kicked out of cities, it got him in all sorts of trouble along the way, but he did it. Why? Well, he says, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some Paul really loved people, and he really did believe that, that God is going to judge the world. And I know it's not super popular to talk about, but as Christians, I mean, you can't be a Christian and not believe this. It's just kind of core to being a Christian, right? Uh, if, if there is no judgment, then Jesus dying on the cross for us, all of that is, is meaningless. Like, that's why he came, to rescue us, to save us. And Paul believes that. He believes that Sosthenes was going to spend eternity apart from God. And so he says, I'm going to be weak. I'm going to hold that tension. I'm going to be stretched. Because he really loved people. He also really loved Jesus. He finishes out. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. He says that I may share in its blessings. And uh, this is, the, the Greek here is weird. All right, uh, it's a weird sentence, and it's a little clumsy. And so, it actually, a literal translation from the original Greek says, "I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may participate in it." All right, I might participate in it. And some translation says, uh, "You know, share in its blessings," but it literally says, "Participate in it." And D.A. Carson, he's a New Testament scholar, he, he talks about what Paul means when he says, "I want to participate in it." Paul wanted to be a part of the gospel. Like, he wanted to be a part of the gospel going to people, but he also just, Paul was so wrapped up in the gospel. His life, he, he was a beneficiary of the gospel. His life was so radically transformed. He thought this was such good news that he would do anything he could to just be a part of it. He loved Jesus so much, and he saw what Jesus did for him that he just wanted to emulate Jesus. Like, in, in one passage of scripture, Paul talks about how he just, if he, he could, he would be poured out like a, a sacrifice, just like Jesus, if he could be, because he just wanted to be a piece of the action, and, and he says, I, I, I can't, he knows he can't be Jesus to anybody. Only Jesus can be Jesus, but he wants to be as close to the action as possible, and Paul looked at Jesus, and he saw that Jesus was utterly distinct from us, utterly other separate, distinct from us, and he had all the power and all the authority, and yet he chose not to use that power and authority for his own advantage, and he made himself nothing so that he could identify with our weakness. So Paul saw Jesus do this for him, and Paul says, I want to do that. I want to be like Jesus. I want to see whatever power, influence, or whatever I have, whatever strength I could cling to and say, I don't want to hold on to this. I don't want to grasp this any longer. I want to, I want to let it go so I can identify with people in their weakness so that, that maybe I could be a part of the gospel advancing in their lives. I could see people saved through this. 
And it is hard work, but I do believe that if we, we start to do this work and increasingly do this work, that not only will we get to see some people saved along the way, but we'll also start to look more like Jesus. In this community, right here at Beacon, but in our, our broader community as well, being this, this demonstration of the gospel where people get to look at you and be like, oh, that's what Jesus is like. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.